2: The podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish Sussman, every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts,
3: or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. And I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between.
1: Hi, I'm Arden Marine from Insatiable and the Will You Accept This Rose podcast. And I'm Julianne Robinson, an Emmy-nominated director of Bridgerton. And we are the hosts of Lady of the Road, a funny and inspiring podcast
2: where we have conversations with influential women about their lives and we get self-help advice.
1: Because we are always looking to improve ourselves.
2: True
3: story. We talk about money, health,
2: relationships, you name it, from inspiring women like Joan Jett, Nicole Byer, Lauren Lapkus, Reda, and more.
1: Listen and subscribe to Lady of the Road on the iHeartRadio.
5: The Gangster Chronicles Podcast is a weekly conversation that revolves around the underworld. From criminals and entertainers to victims of crime and law enforcement, we cover all facets of the game. Gangster Chronicles Podcast doesn't glorify or promote illicit activities. We just discuss the ramifications and repercussions of these activities. Because after all, if you play gangster games, you are ultimately rewarded with gangster prizes. Our Heart Radio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find the Gangsta Chronicles podcast in the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast.
6: Hi, I'm Hillary Clinton, and I'm so excited to be back with a third season of You and Me Both. When I started this podcast, we were going through some tough times, and let's face it, we still are. And here's what I know we cannot get through this alone. So please join me for more conversations with people who will make you think, make you laugh, and help us find a path forward. This season, I'll be talking about the state of our democracy with experts and with people organizing on the ground. We'll draw inspiration from some amazing people like Olympic star Alison Felix and Grammy Award winner Brandy Carlisle. And we'll get into the hard stuff with writer Cheryl Strayed and my dear friend and colleague Huma Abedin. So join us, listen to you and me both on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: My name is Randall Einhorn. I was the Director of Photography on The Office and sometimes Director of The Office. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us
0: back here on The Office Deep Dive. As always, I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Now, today, we have such a treat for you. This episode all right, is the beginning of a a kind of mini-series, a deep dive within the deep dive, if you will, about the camera on The Office, specifically the camera as a character. As I have said many times, the thing that I am most proud of about The Office is the attention to detail about the camera. Every shot was meticulously thought out to make it feel like a real documentary. In every scene we shot, there was always a conversation about the camera's angle, the way that it moved, and the intention of the camera. And so who better to talk about all of this than the guy who shot it, the guy who was holding the camera, Randall Einhorn. Now, I love Randall's story. Okay, I'm not going to give it away, but let me just say that he started out as a river guide, deep in... Australia mate down under in the wilderness and and then he ended up as DP of the office. It's incredible. And even though Randall is this like adventury outdoorsman guy who'd rather sleep in dirt than a bed, he is also the sweetest guy that you'll ever meet. And he and I have spent many a night at his home, which used to be an ashram, drinking wine looking at the stars and talking about life and the things that are really important. And as you'll hear momentarily, he still holds what we did on The Office as something truly special. Folks, there may be some tears today, okay? I'm not saying whose, but you're going to find out soon enough. So please, welcome the man behind the camera, Randall Einhorn.
3: squeak I love
4: it bubble and squeak I know bubble and squeak I cook it every moment left over from the night before
0: I mean you know how it is the here you're over there it's just been crazy.
7: I just came up for air myself. I just I did a pilot for HBO Max that I just finished shooting on Friday. Yeah. You know pilot. Is here. it good? Oh, it's really good. Really? It's really good. Yeah. They're doing 80 shows in the next uh, this thank you. Your volumes on the left here. Okay.
0: No one has adjusted the volume yet. I'm going to tell he tells you everyone watch that me. it's on the left. You watch me.
7: If I get too much of you, I just, just do this on the left.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's
7: the one on the right. Hello. See, I didn't hear you. Got nothing, nothing. Nothing at all. You
0: can't hear it at all?
7: I can hear you now. God. I turned you back up. Bless it. Um, so it's HBO Max. They've got 80 new shows that they're doing next year, and mine was, I hope, one of them. Have you seen Lodge 49?
0: No. No. Um, I mean, unless that makes me sound dumb, and then yes, it, I have. But I don't remember much
7: about it. Remind me. <laughs> you haven't seen, it. I haven't seen it. Nobody watched it. It was an hour on AMC. This feels weird talking to you, right? Looking at you with through the microphone and the headphones.
0: Why? We're just having a chat. <laughs>
7: <laughs> um, what did you do, Lodge Forty Nine? I did the pilot for that on oh. AMC, and that was an hour, and it was on just bef- after uh, Better Call Saul.
0: Here's my issue. AMC is just confusing to me. And I'll tell you why. The reason is they do remarkable shows, Mm -hmm. but I never understand when it's things are on. Right. So I just eventually, but I'm the schmuck that like, I'm like, oh shoot, better call Saul has had four episodes. And then I go buy them on Amazon or whatever. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm contributing to their bottom line. You certainly are.
7: Thank you very much. Maybe they, yeah. You should do it for Lodge Forty Nine. Go buy it. Lodge Forty Nine. Go buy it.
0: Um, all right. So now you're a big time Hollywood director it's or super, producer.
7: Super big time. Really actually, big time. It says on my car. If
0: I can draw, <laughs> Randall Einhorn. Super big time. Super big time. Super big time. Does anyone ask you like, oh, is this your production company?
7: And you're like, no, I'm just super big time. It's a super big time. <laughs> I actually have a co- production company name. Finally. Uh huh. Because I have I sold three pilots this year. Um, sad unicorn. Sad unicorn. Yeah, because Einhorn is a unicorn, and why is it sad? Because it's funny when a unicorn is sad, right? That might be
0: the best production company name that I've ever heard. Sad unicorn. Sad unicorn. I like it. Yeah. I will say I don't know why. The only other name that is popping into my head that that I think can compete with Sad Unicorn is Bad Robot. I think bad, that's bad awesome. robots, good
7: bad robot. That's a really good one. That's name. a really good one. I also thought about uh, misery loves company. Mm, there you go. That sounded but like C- a game show. CO on the end.
0: You have all right. I'm gonna say that. I was about to compliment you, but don't do I don't, nah, do I don't feel, it. Do I? I don't feel quite. Oh, look away. Um, no, I don't, I don't feel quite ready. Um, all right. So now you're this big time. Super big time. Super big time. Super big time, sorry. Mm -hmm. Super big time, um, writer, producer. What were you doing prior to the years
7: 2005-ish, four-ish, five-ish? What were were you working on then? So I came in, the reason I got to the office is I was DPing some extreme sports stuff. Um, Okay. Snowboarding with Sean White and Jeremy Jones, who are snowboarders. Yeah. And Jackson Hole. And... Ben Silverman decided that I was the guy to shoot The Office because I can shoot outdoor extreme sports. So therefore (laughs) you should shoot The Office because you, I mean, I I came from outdoor adventure sports. I came from the Eco Challenge and then I was a DP on Survivor as well. The whole time? No, the first season of Survivor. The first season? Yeah, DP the first one. And then I ended up, you know, being operator on six more. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I came from outdoor adventure pursuits. And then I ended up in a fluorescent, uh, office. Right. And did you work with Ben? How did you know Ben? Because Ben came to Jackson Hole while I was shooting this extreme sports stuff and decided I was the guy. And so he went to Greg and said, this is our guy. Yeah, this is our guy. And Greg and I set a meeting to meet at a coffee bean near here which is on Santa Monica Boulevard. And I knew of a coffee bean on Santa Monica Boulevard. So I, I was new to the Los Angeles. I lived two hours from a stoplight in Australia. So I knew of, a, of a, a coffee bean on Santa Monica Boulevard. I went there and I waited for Greg for like 15 minutes. And then I figured, oh, I should, I should call and see where he is. Well, he was at the coffee bean on Santa Monica, just about 20, 10 miles away. So I showed up for the meeting about 45 minutes late, but Greg's all right. All right. So yeah, we we hung out, and that's my first meeting with Greg. Really,
0: and did, and then did you wait, or were you were you
7: hired pretty quickly after that? I was hired pretty quickly after that. I think I, in that initial conversation, like I I I, I referred to the office as a tofu hot dog, and I remember Greg kind of latched onto that. I think he liked it. But what it, what it meant to me is it's it's good food wrapped like junk food. So you had to, you had to always kind of dissect it and kind of, you know, put it in a, a veneer and you are always putting it under a veneer of something just caught or just, just gleaned or shoot it on a long lens. So it appears to be privileged information, which is extra juicy for the viewer. (laughs) Right. We talked a lot about what I thought it should look like because I really came from a documentary world and, um, it always feels false to me when I see a camera right next to people who are having a very intimate conversation. And I I, I told Greg, I think that that camera should be a very, very long way away so that the viewers really leaning in, they feel privileged by it. They feel like it, it feels, it reads more honest if his camera is a long way away as opposed to it just being right there because they, people would have an awareness of that camera. And it's subliminal, but to me, it makes sense. Uh, Ken Quap has talked to me a little bit
0: about having to work for a shot. And he didn't want the camera necessarily in the right place Mm -hmm. to get the perfect setup television shot, that if there was a filing cabinet in the way, or if there was a pillar in the way, that that was actually a good thing, that the camera had to work to find it.
7: Yeah. Einstein said, in the midst of difficulty lies opportunity. And I think that what we did on The Office, like when we build the first season we shot on, you know, in J.J. Abrams' office, it was a real office with real doors and real low ceilings and real everything and everything was difficult and every single thing that made it more difficult made it better because you had to work for it and it made it seem more real. So we were always putting stuff in the way and, you know, making it the more inconvenient it was the the more real and grounded it felt, which I think allowed the comedy to go a little bit further because the more grounded the, the look of it, maybe you can push things a little bit more comedically.
0: Right. I remember, um, You shooting constantly and being like, "Ah, yeah, I think this shot is too pretty. And you would just pull, you yourself would just pull the plant over (laughs) so there would be some leaves in the
7: corner of the screen. Again, like trying to block it. Yeah. Trying to look, trying to be hidden as if we were, you know, gleaning something that we were privileged to see. You know, we did that all the time on Survivor. If people are having a conversation, just back way up the beach and it makes it feel more real. Um, I remember when we moved out of JJ's office and we built it on a stage, we had like a I don't know, a 30,000 square foot stage. We, and we built this office. And normally in normal television shows, they would, they would make the walls so that they could fly away. And they would make everything so you could shoot through, you know, you could pull a wall away and shoot, put the camera there easily. And we didn't do any of that. Everything that made it more difficult made it better. And it's, I think we owe it all to Einstein. In the midst of difficulty lies opportunity. I think that's brilliant. But at, at that was, he said it in German. It didn't sound as lyrical. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Steam, I don't know what it is, but. Oh, you yeah, bring out your German. Yeah. I, I nicht. That's all I can say. Really. Um,
0: so the only thing that was changed from the practical office space to when we set up on the soundstage, cause we wanted the whole uh, dimensions and everything to be the same. Wasn't there like a
7: nine inches increased in the conference room or something <laughs> like that? I think. I think we made the conference room like nine inches wider and we made the kitchen like a foot and a half wider. Okay, just to try to get yeah. your ass in the corner. Just because I'm not a small
0: ass. Just to try to get it as far into the corner yeah. to shoot the, you know. The- exactly.
7: And the kitchen was still really, really, really hard to shoot. And, you know, it had all these reflective surfaces all, all over it. I think we made the doors like four inches higher. Because I don't know if you remember, we, were, we boomed the whole show. Which was crazy, but but really worth it. And the camera would go in, and the camera's... I'm 6'5", and the camera was uh, like another, I'm 5'10". I'm I thought you'd pick up on that. Anyway, you think of me as 6'5", right? I do, I think of you as 6'5". 6'5", <laughs> <five>, like 180. <laughs> yeah, that's how I think of myself too. Anyway, um, you know, I'm 5'10", and the camera would be another, you know, four inches above my head. Sure. And then and then the boom would come in the room over my head. So we had all the, you know, entering a room was always a, an adventure. Yeah. So we, we tried to shoot the office as truthful as possible, and there were rules. For instance, we could not show where another camera was because that would, that would give up the lie. Like In, in other words, if, some, if a camera is standing in a, in a doorway um, and another character comes to that doorway and I'm over the shoulder of that character, we would never show that character standing in that doorway because there should be another camera there. So we would never show a big wide shot of a room that is completely conventional in all television. You would see the wide, and then you would see the tights. And within that wide, there should have been cameras inside, right, in, if
0: in the frame. Docu- right. If it's a documentary, if Steve's standing at his
1: Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online.
7: know that I'm part of the routine and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it.
2: In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math and Magic on our
0: very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast office. And someone is filming Steve, and then we cut, we go back, and then we have a camera that's shooting over Steve to the rest of the of of the People in the bullpen watching. You should see a camera man standing behind them.
7: Yeah, and, and the the rule that we came up with is if it could have possibly been done by being really skilled verite documentary cameraman, we could do it. If not, we shouldn't do it. Right. Um, and so we always we always tried to figure out another way of doing it. And I think that that made it cooler. It made so cool. it made it so much more challenging and. And more interesting, but we had rules. We had rules that we would not break.
0: Did you ever catch a cameraman?
7: We would whip through each other at times, but we would hope that you would never use the take where we whip through each other. Um, but we would also just duck. And Matt would know that I have to duck down or I would, he would duck down when I'm whipping through him.
0: Do you remember one of your favorite examples of doing that?
7: There are so many. We were always, we were always hiding. We were right. always hiding from each other because we were shooting 360, which is a tricky thing about lighting that said, is we, we were just using the fluorescent lights to make these scoops, these light scoops to send out a soft wash. Um, I don't know. Well, really
0: have... Wait, say that again? These
7: light scoops yeah. to send out a sh- soft wash? So we had these. That we... is Wait, say that again? We had these, we made these mylar box, these boxes out of cardboard with mylar inside of them and a piece of diffusion. And you would stick that mylar, that you'd stick that box on a light. And that's the light that would send out a nice soft wash to the rest of the room. But not on a fluorescent.
0: We weren't really using
7: fluorescence. We were really using fluorescence. Yep. Unbelievable. Yep. Get you fired from other shows.
0: Well, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Yep. On our show, do whatever would get you fired on other shows. I didn't know any better, so it all worked out. It's a hard time for hiring. So you need a hiring partner built for hard times. That's Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place, and Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash Office Deep Dive terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
4: What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think, Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.
1: Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Zoe Deschanel and I'm so excited to be joined by my friends and castmates, Hannah Simone and Lamorne Morris, to recap our hit television series, New Girl.
4: Join us every Monday on the Welcome to Our Show podcast where we'll share behind the scenes stories of your favorite New Girl episodes, reveal the truth behind the legendary game True American, and discuss how the show got made with the writers, guest stars, and directors who made the show so special.
6: Fans have been begging us to do a New Girl recap for years, and we finally made a podcast where we answer all your burning questions like, is there really a bear in every episode of New Girl? Plus, each week you'll hear hilarious stories like this.
4: At the end when he says you got some Schmidt on your face, I feel like I pitched that joke.
6: I believe that. Whoa. I feel like I
4: did. I'm not a thousand percent. I want to say that was I, I, I tossed that one out.
1: Listen to the Welcome to Our Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: there were so many things that were done to create this ultra reality and working conditions that were not on the outside pleasant we were stuck in that room we were there all day long camera moving around which really the other potentially most important character in the whole show was the camera itself in terms of creating that family and everybody there it was the camera guys, and one boom operator, we were all in there together.
7: Yeah. We were just, you know, fitting in where you could get in. I mean, because so, so much of that place was a not, not an easy place to move. It wasn't convenient, but it was awesome. I mean, being able to work all that out and, you know, I, having come from a, a, a cinema verite style documentary style, while I had done a shameful amount of reality TV, it wasn't my flavor of choice. It was just something I had done. So, I was really used to just trying to fit in where we could get in and like, you know, other operator and then DP and then director of the show, Matt Sohn, we had shot a bunch of reality together. You know, they talk about the line when, you know, the line is, is and cameras want to be on one side of the line or another. They don't want to be on either side of the line because one person's face will be looking left to right. And you want the person they're talking to's face to be looking right to left if you're on either the wrong side of the line, you'll end up with two people looking left to right and it won't look like they're having a conversation. So we always paid a lot of attention to the line, but it's also that one thing that we just kind of were so versed in because you have to be. When you're telling a a story that is truly caught, that line comes very naturally. So blocking scenes was a blast and it was so much fun. Just Matt and I just looking at each other and the boom, boom person operator looking at us like, okay, where do I go? Um, and I'm like, that's not my problem. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you're a sound guy.
0: <laughs> right. But a, a ton, you bring up a great point that a ton of our rehearsal time was really about not blocking of actors, but blocking of the cameras. And, and in every show you, you have to you know, figure out where the camera is and how it's moving. But the intricacies of that to make sure that you could capture the action was truly masterful.
7: Well, I I think we spend a lot, we spend a lot less time on that, on the office blocking, blocking camera and blocking, you know, for me, the best way of, of gleaning a scene on the office was everybody be where there would be and I will shoot what I can. And that's kind of how we did it. And I remember Harold Ramis came in and He, everybody's so excited. Harold Ramis is on our set. Oh my God, it's Harold Ramis on our set. And he spent like a week extra just blocking the show. And there was a point where, you know, a rehearsal was done and he had a theory of how it would be blocked. And, you know, Matt and I just kind of stood back and used our fingers as if they were cameras. And you get this, I'll get this. Great, we'll cross the line here. We'll come over there. We'll come around here. You don't need to duck because I'm zooming through you to get this line. And I'll duck for you to zoom through. And Harold looked at me and he says, I should just throw my plans out, right? I'm like, no, Mr. Remus, it's a real privilege, sir, of i so happy to hear, I'm sure all that work you did in there was great. And he says, okay, I'll, I'll keep it for a little bit. And then we just blocked another scene he goes, I should chuck this out, right? I'm like, no, Mr. Ramis, it's really great to see you coming in with a, with a plan. He says, don't shit me, kid, I should get rid of this. I'm like, well, you could keep it as backup. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Yeah. One of the things that, um, one of the things that Ken mentioned was that actually in traditional documentaries, you don't see that whip pan Mm -hmm. that, um, there was some discussion slash argument early on about people not wanting to include that, but you know, he felt like that on television, that, that those visual cues of, of messiness was, was really important. Did you feel the same way?
7: Yeah. I remember I, like, I, I just watched an earlier episode of the office and my God, the camera work was outstanding. It was one thing I took away, but um, you know, the, it, it's kind of insistent that if, if somebody would, you know, like if Michael was wanted to close his office door, the, the persistence of the camera. It's like no, I'm going to look through the blinds. Okay, you close the blinds. Okay, I'm going to come around to these, and I'm going to get in, and just it it just made it feel more delicious. And that that the camera was nosy, and it was really was not relenting. It wasn't going to give you the space. It may, might let you think you had the space to go have a private moment, but it probably had another angle on you anyway. But that but that's what I mean about the camera
0: being a character itself. That it was an active Participant in the action.
7: Yeah, it, it's certainly you know. I, I I definitely feel like the camera was was a character in the show, and some of the some of the best direction I ever got from directors was the type of direction you would give an actor. You feel this. You're you're worried about this. You're curious about that, but you know this, and it was kind of the similar type of direction you'd give an actor, and that was some of the best you know um inspiration as a camera like to that that the camera always had a point of view it had an agenda it had its own stories it wanted to tell regardless of what the characters in the show wanted to tell
0: that was the thing that i was the most proud of i think of everything in the show how much care and thought was put into the camera and not just their attitude but the camera as it related to the other characters in the space. Every single scene, there was always a decision made. And I'm tremendously proud of that. And your work in that.
7: Thank you. Yeah. It was it was so much fun. I mean, I remember doing scenes, and I, I think that at any given time, the camera would have a different relationship with the characters. Just like another character would have a different relationship with a character. Like, I would look at Jenna, and I would – you know, Jenna would smile and I would smile back. I just could not not. Um, You know, at times, I think I was probably somebody who was invasive to Michael Scott's privacy. Or when you caught Michael Scott in an embarrassing moment and he really wishes you weren't there. Um, That's where I think so much of the fun is. Or when Rain thinks he's going to pull one over on Jim and you just kind of like, okay, I'm going to go along with this with you because it'll be fun and it'll make a great TV story. So, yeah, you had, it definitely felt like I had relationships with everybody on that show.
0: Yeah, and the you, you just brought up something that I hadn't I'd sort of forgotten about or hadn't thought about how significant it was. But on most television shows as an actor, when you're shooting it, the camera, the person who's operating the camera is typically very dead-faced, often just looking into the lens, or having their head down or sort of turned away and the sort of traditional, um, you know, that's just sort of traditionally how it's done because you're attempting to not distract the actor from whatever they're saying, whether it's serious or dramatic or funny or whatever. But I, you would laugh. Like you would specifically as the camera laugh and interact with the action that's going on. And that's so rare and also helpful most of the time probably really unprofessional <laughs> well no but i think no but i think that was part of it i mean yeah. i think it actually we talk about the camera as the character but it it really was you i mean it really was the operator of the camera who was that character much like you know, the quote-unquote documentarian who was usually the director who was asking questions during the talking. Yeah. That's fascinating. I never thought about that before. But you're laughing and total lack of professionalism was actually <laughs> a benefit. It's
7: unbelievable. That and the, the, the terrible lighting I do. And
0: the terrible lighting. I mean, right?
7: I, I don't know. I You know, for me, form follows function. The fact that you're, you're, the camera has a point of view and it's really trying to discover things and it has its own agenda – That informs why that show looks that way, which is other shows that I do don't have that look. It's really important for me to try to find the right look for any show I'm doing. And being a character in that place, investigating what the stories that are going on informed to me how that show should look. It's really documentary,
0: right? I mean, it, it was really about trying to find all of the elements of making a documentary. In a true documentary, it's being put together solely in the editing bay. Mm-hmm. And the story that's happening actually in real time that you don't get retakes of, you, you get what you get. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this, you were really telling the story in the moment visually. That then, you know, we take the best takes and we do, but, but, but how that story is told is influenced way more by
7: you as the operator of the camera than in post. The editors might disagree, <laughs> but I, I I think the attitude that the camera has on set is certainly how the story is told. Do you think the editors would disagree? No. No, I don't. I'm just giving them a dig. No. I <laughs> no, I, I think they loved, they enjoyed that attitude, and they always would would cut that attitude in there because I think that was a... A really uh, some, a special sauce that no other show had. Yeah,
0: and although we didn't shoot a whole lot of oneers, right? So one shot that carries us through an entire scene that you can't really cut up. You you really were oftentimes by connecting, as you said, Jenna to John. We see John, and then we see Rain looking at John, looking at Jenna, and you you see the realization from all of those characters what's happening in that moment. It's not an Orson Welles, however many minutes, a right. wonder, but you're still creating the story that an editor can't change.
7: We did, we did do a lot. I mean, I always tried to do a lot of Warners because I thought they told so much. They gave so much background as to where everybody was and, and things just would often line up so beautifully. Um, I, I really enjoy those things where you see Steve go into his office and the camera try to go into his office and, he just shuts the door and then he just shuts the blinds and then he just shuts the other blinds and then he goes around to the other, you know, I, I really enjoy that. It, it tells me what the camera's thinking in a really cool way.
0: Do you remember any happy accidents or things that happened in one earth that you, you would not have
1: Bean dad, the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online.
2: and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: Know that I'm part of the routine and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to
2: it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to math and magic on our
0: very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Been able to get if you had shot it differently.
7: We certainly tried to shoot like the Jim and Pam kiss. I was so far away from them. Ken Quampus okay. was directing. And I was in the kitchen, and all the lights were out, and we just had barely, barely light on. And it was a really long lens shot. It was probably 300 millimeter long lens shot. It was really, so it, it just felt, it felt so real. And I remember doing it, it was like, you know, I was actually getting choked up. And I knew very well that I was John Krasinski and, and Jenna Fisher and that there was craft service just out the out the door. And I would see John and Jenna there in a minute, but I would still get emotionally involved. I would get invested because it it to me, what I was shooting looked real. And I was with those characters and it all felt real. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah.
0: Well, that was beautiful. my, my um what I was thinking of was not nearly as sweet as what you said. We tried to do Kind of a one I don't think it was actually a one but in stress relief, in the episode where the fake fire drill happens, mm-hmm. where Dwight lights oh, yeah. the fire and we try to do that. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember this, but there's a shot where Kevin, me, I'm running through the <laughs> office. Yep. I'm running through the kitchen to go from the, I've just raided the vending machine and I'm running through the kitchen and I shoulder you. I, yeah. I nudge you. You go down. Yep. on the gr- on your ass on the ground, and Chris Workman, who was the camera assistant, huge, beefy, very strong guy, reaches down, picks you up by the shoulders. You stand back up with the camera <laughs> and keep filming. Yeah. And that that stayed in. Oh man, I was so
7: proud of that of he- you and more of me, but of you. And most, I was really proud of Chris. I mean, he picked me up like I, am not small no, and no, the camera you... is not small. Um, and he just picked me up with one arm and I'm like, did I fall down? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, so then he kept rolling and it is in the show and it's great. It felt so real. I remember, I remember I'm backing up, backing up, backing up, backing up. Not fast enough. Boom. <laughs> oh, I'm up again. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Cause like on, on normal, on normal TV shows where there's always a guy who's guiding you backwards. And I never wanted; it, and I was always weirded out by somebody guiding me to where I should be because I always, I always kind of look half look behind me and half look through the viewfinder, and just normally it's a, a grip who's doing that. And I never wanted that; I never, I never allowed that. But Chris was there that day. He was there. He totally caught me. <sighs> I think maybe he was opening the door for me as well because I was yes, rushing was the, backwards.
0: You were rushing backwards. There yeah. was the door. We kind of got missed time because the door was, I don't remember, but I shouldered you yeah. and thought, uh-oh, that's bad. And then realized we were still going and yeah. I kept going. <laughs> we
7: were still going. <laughs> I remember also there was a time, there was some, um, on the basketball episode, Yes, John got his nose, a bloody nose. And the story was he was supposed to get a bloody nose but he actually really got a bloody nose. So I'm, I'm rushing right in there because John's bleeding and I'm shooting it. <laughs> and he, he stayed with it. He's like, okay, all right, we've cut now because my nose hurts. <laughs> but I remember we just all rolled with it. I also remember up on the roof, Dwight and Michael were throwing a watermelon off the roof onto a trampoline to try to hit Stanley's car. And... They didn't think they'd be able to hit Stanley's car, but and we thought, okay, we're gonna have to do this with visual effects, and it's gonna be a fake watermelon that's gonna smash on the car. And we're we're all, you know, leaning over the roof in harnesses, and they throw the watermelon off and hits the trampoline and hits Stanley's car and dents the roof. And it was a real it really happened. So I just panned back up to them and they just kept going with it. It was, it was fantastic.
0: Um there was another thing that has come up talk to me a little bit about the positioning of the talking heads and and where certain characters were shot and if there was there a reason for which direction
7: there was and and i don't know if you know everybody else and anybody ever got this it just meant something to me and that was you know everybody was shot um pointing into the office where leslie was sitting. So in front of Stanley, except for Jim, because I thought that Jim was the one person who was going to leave that place and they had something bigger they wanted to do. And so Jim got to, his position was looking out the window and the parking lot and the sun. And eventually once Jim and Pam got together, then Jim and Pam were both in front of the windows because they're both going to leave this place and go to someplace better. That's awesome. I love that. That's like a, what do
0: they call it? The kids, an Easter egg. That's an Easter egg for the kids. That's an Easter egg.
3: Yep. If
6: I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour.
4: If you could find a way.
6: To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes.
5: Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out.
0: And for some... That feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
4: Welcome a in my shoes.
5: What's up, guys? I'm Rashad Bilal. And I am Troy Millings. And we are the hosts of the Earn Your Leisure podcast, where we break down business models and examine the latest trends in finance. We hold court and have exclusive interviews with some of the biggest names in business, sport and entertainment. From DJ Khaled to Mark Cuban, Rick Ross, and Shaquille O'Neal, I mean, our alumni list is expansive. Listen in as our guests reveal their business models, hardships, and triumphs in their respective fields. The knowledge is in-depth, and the questions are always delivered from your standpoint. We want to know what you want to know. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you. Their fearless guide to this fascinating world.
0: Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you
5: by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.
0: So you were telling stories in the reality world and then, you know, being the director of photography and, and holding the camera. But then now, you move into directing mm-hmm. for your first time. So what
7: was the first thing you directed? You know, I was. it was the office, because Greg said, you're telling jokes with a camera. I'm like, I'm trying to. He says, you should direct some. So I'll try to. And Greg started, you know, insisted that I start directing. And and, and you started with the webisodes, right? No. No, I started with, um, first one I did was. I think mm-hmm. I'm right. Mm-hmm. The accountants. Los Contadores? Los Contadores. Oh, I thought, I thought I was, I thought I did an initiation, Ben Franklin, and then office party. I thought it was after that. We're going to have to check the records.
0: I, th- I mean, didn't we check the records, guys? Didn't I do the, ma- is anyone listening? I think I'm right. Probably. I think the accountants was first, but it doesn't matter. So NBC and Ben and Greg, um. This idea is hatched or a request is made from the network that while we're not shooting one summer, we want to continue, um, to tell stories of other cast members who maybe don't get as much attention during some of the episodes. And we created, uh, the first ever digital streaming series for a network, which was called Los Contadores, Los Contadores, the accountants. And you directed that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how was that different or what did you think doing it?
7: Well, I remember that it was done without resources, none, none whatsoever. Um, I shot it on a camera you can buy at, uh, target. It was like a, a $1,500 camera. I was pulling my own focus. I think I had a, a, a gaffer and a, and a, and a grip. And that was it. We had nobody else. And so I shot it with one camera and I directed it and it was really fast and it was really fun. And I love the accountants. I mean, that's the cool, that's, that's really where the cool kids are. It really
0: is. What I remember you saying when we started working on that was kind of like, I I don't know what it is. It's, It's like there's school or there's work and then there's like you know, an extracurricular activity (laughs) or something that you get to do, which is still at school, but you can be a little bigger. And I remember you saying like, we we don't have to play even by our own weird rules for the office. Like we can invent a different style for, for this to exist. And it's, I I went back and watched it. It's really fun. Yeah. It
7: was just fun to just to do, do it such a skeleton crew. I mean, everything, but like when we went to New York, I remember the first time we went to New York it was me, Greg and Steve, and that was it. And then we had we had to hire a we had to hire a union gaffer and a grip, and they just sat in the van and, the whole day. <laughs> they just sat in the van. Who who held, who held the camera? I shot it on a tiny little um, you know consumer camera. You did. Yeah, we just take like a three thousand dollar camera there, and it was just sticks in my bag. You just put it in your suitcase
0: mm-hmm. and took it on a plane yep. with Steve Carell and Greg Daniels and shot
7: shots outside of new york city yeah because new york city looks beautiful and anything you could do to it to, in, in a lighting sense is probably going to screw it up so we just shot what was there
0: that's amazing yeah
7: i would love to see the stuff with, that we shot that we just played that we just you know we're just screwing around because there was a bunch
0: did you have what, did you have security or no n- no one was closing off the street no nothing Nothing
7: at all. I remember the night.
0: Did Steve have a trailer? Like, I'm so curious about all of these things. We stayed
7: at the W and Steve and I, we got in and we went to go get, we went to Johnny's for a slice. And at the time there was, you know, the 40 year old virgin posters were at Times Square and there was the, the chipmunks movie that he was in and the office was getting big and And I remember Steve and I walking to Johnny's and then walking home on Times Square where there's a bazillion people and Steve being as gracious to the first person who stopped him as he was to the thousandth person that stopped him. He just was never in a hurry, never wanted to go. It was great. That's who that guy is. That is who that
5: guy is. Yeah.
0: Initiation was 2006, Mm -hmm. which was, which was what season? Oh, God dang it. You guys had it in the right order, and I changed it around because I thought you were wrong. Um, All right, so you are telling stories by holding the camera. Mm -hmm. You've told stories shooting through reality. Now you finally got your
7: first chance to actually direct a scripted program, which was on The Office. Initiation, yeah. And um, I think, yeah, BJ wrote it, and it was when Dwight takes BJ out to the farm to initiate him. And there was one of my favorite lines of The Office that we got to do improv of that was, just as you plant that seed in the ground, I am going to plant my seed in you. (laughs) And it made the television.
5: Oh, that's so
7: amazing. (laughs) And it made television. That is so amazing.
0: Um, How did leaving The Office, so going to the beet farm or, you know, we think about the show as being so stuck mm-hmm. in that one place and it's known obviously the iconic the office the bullpen that we shot most of the stuff in but then as the seasons began to move and we started to go out yeah for example the beet farm
7: did did that alter anything leaving that bullpen environment i think you know if we try to make the the bullpen environment seem like a prison um which i think we did um then outside could be the liberation, a liberating feeling to get people outside, get people breathing fresh air. Like there's a scene in the beat farm where I just back the cameras way off, really, really far away. And it's just Dwight and BJ in the, in, you know, BJ on his knees, planting a seed and, and, uh, and just back the camera way off and just let the sun play. And it was just gorgeous. So I tried to make it a a reprieve, a break from the monotony of uh, fluorescent tubes. Was that a
0: metaphor? No, I don't know what a metaphor. I don't either. It might have been. I, someone just sent it that I should say that word a lot, so yeah. I've just been trying. I've been trying to use to the word metaphor.
7: dramaturgy, and I'm, I'm going to try to work it in here someplace. The word I keep using is juxtaposition. Juxtaposition, nice.
0: Yeah, because there's an X in it, and mm. words with X's make you seem real smart. Yeah,
7: contextualize as oh, well. i bragging.
0: I mean, contextualize is a great word. When you contextualize the juxtaposition of ideas, it's um, usually enlightening. Yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> That's good stuff.
0: Um I uh But that was the first time we went to the beat farm.
7: That was the first time at, at, at the at the beat farm, yeah. And you know, it was it was it was really, really cool to get to direct a show the show because everybody had my back. Everybody was so supportive and tolerant and and I knew how I wanted to shoot it too, <laughs> but everybody was just so behind me. And that just felt incredible, you know? And I I think I've gone on and I've directed 15 or 16 episodes of of the show. And Greg Daniels, like, bless his heart, he was, you know, I I, I started to think maybe I want to do more directing. And Greg let me go direct other TV shows and come back to the office to DP. And nobody in this industry does that. Nobody does that for people. Yeah.
0: So he wanted you yeah. to
7: be able to pursue what
0: you wanted to yeah. do yeah. and welcomed you back whenever you could.
7: Certainly did. Yeah.
0: That's pretty special.
7: That's really special. Yeah. No, I mean, everybody's, you know, you're shooting 22 episodes or something in a season and, and everybody needs to be there pulling their weight and, and Craig's like, no, you should go do something else. Yeah. <sighs> it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's Greg. It's Greg. Yeah.
0: So end of season six. Mm-hmm. You leave the office. How difficult was it to make that decision to leave?
7: You know, I mean, I think that's when I stopped DPing. Yeah. yeah. When I stopped DPing, that was that was scary. That was really scary because I knew I could shoot. I mean, I didn't go to film school. I didn't go to school. <laughs> I, right. I, 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 you know, I, I barely graduated high school. Um, right. But I, I and did, by high school, you mean third grade. I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't really have a backup plan other than maybe I could go back to the office if this didn't work. And it was a very good job and I had fun doing it every single day. But I started, I, I fell in love with directing. I still love shooting, but I fell in love with directing. and. It was scary because I had this job for six years. And in television, having a job for six years is is unheard of. There are very few shows that get to do that. And I was making good money. And I moved my family out here from Australia to try so I could go home at night. And it was scary to step away. But I I really felt very safe that I was, that Greg would always be there. He'd always let me back in. Right. Um,
0: and you know a lot of conversation, obviously, about when Steve left, but I remember when you left, and it was a deeply emotional time for us as well. I mean, I remember us talking about it, and you talking about some of your fear or anxiety, but feeling like it was, it was time. And you know, as one of those, quite frankly, core cast members um, that were together, I remember that being a very
7: it was very difficult for us.
0: We yeah. we knew we were going to miss you.
7: Well, oh, I missed everybody, and it was, it was that, that was tricky. It was like leaving home. You know, it's like, you, you know, you need to, or you're not going to grow. But at the same time, home is a great place. Yeah. What are you most proud of about the show or thankful for? You know, I, what I'm thankful for is Greg giving me the chance, Greg and Ben giving me the chance. I mean, it's, Completely changed my life. I'm, you know, it's, and they did it in such a gracious way. That's another thing I think about. It's like, there was never a bad idea on the office. Never a bad, if somebody in craft service gave Craig an idea, he's like, that's a great idea. Right. <laughs> and he would go run with it. So it was, it was just, I, I think what I love so much about it is it was just so collaborative. And it wasn't always easy to find a way to do something, but we always figured it out. And, and I think it was Greg who first said, yeah, everything that we do, everything that, everything that makes it harder makes it better, which I think is kind of, um, a metaphor for life.
0: You know, it strikes me, you know, Ben told me that he went to Kevin Riley and said, this guy, Greg Daniels is the guy, the guy who had not worked very much at all in, in live action. Mm program and then ben goes to greg and says this guy randall einhorn he's the guy someone who's never shot a
5: scripted show
0: (laughs) (laughs) and it's like these kids got given the keys to this really cool toy that ricky gervais created and went okay well let's you know what let's not worry about doing it how other people would do it right because
7: we haven't done that let's do it in our own way I think there's 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 something very liberating about not knowing how to do something, that you come up with your your own way of doing it Amazing. that might be special. Yeah, you know, I didn't I had no formal film training whatsoever. I just thought I like that. Oh, that's cool, and that's what I would you know I would just get to chase what I felt was cool, not what I thought I knew. Yeah, the notion of hiring a documentarian to be the documentarian on a scripted TV show. When you dissect that, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the wisest choice, <laughs> but it really worked. And yeah. I think, obviously, Ben saw something, and, and Greg saw something. And it's not necessarily the choice that I think 99.999% of people would ever make, but right. they
0: did. They did. Where do you think you would be right now if The Office hadn't never happened? Oh,
7: Australia? Probably the Australia. Out,
0: the Outback. Being back, the Outback, right? right?
7: Yeah. I love Rain. I remember Rain used to make fun of my accent, which I don't hear.
0: Do I, I have? All? You do have an accent. Now, you, when you listen to this, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I mean. No.
7: But Rain, Rain's, mate, there I was. It was beautiful. Caught a wild boar, mate. Gorgeous. Beautiful. <laughs> <That's>
0: so amazing. <laughs> um, I, I just want you to know that I think... The work you did in creating the vision of this show and the aesthetic is truly awe-inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. And all of your success um, is well-deserved. Even though you're an idiot reality guy, um, you turned out to be pretty gum <laughs> smart. And, and I love you,
7: man. Thank you. I love you too. I was a pretty unhappy reality guy. Yeah. It was my first scripted job. And I've I was really lucky. All right, awesome. Anything else, you guys? That was fun. Dude. Can't believe I teared up because Greg got me But Yes! I can't. I can't I can believe I did it. Did
5: it
0: how incredible was that? I had so much fun talking to Randall, and as I told him after the recording, he really surprised me during that interview. He was so smart and insightful. I mean, I didn't think he was dumb before, but he quoted Albert Einstein. Who does that? And by the way, Randall only has one testicle. So that kind of thinking from a man with one testicle is also very impressive. Maybe we'll get Randall back to talk about that story. That's a gem of a story on another occasion. But thank you, Randall. Listen, his work on The Office, so special. It would not have been The Office without Randall. Anyway, that's gonna do it for this week, folks. Stay tuned next week as we dive deeper into all things camera with some actors on that subject. Until then, have a great week. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our producer is Adam Macias. Our associate producer is Emily Carr. And our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Cree Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky.
4: The Black Effect presents
5: I didn't know know. Maybe you didn't either, but the history of black people ain't rooted in slavery. Oh, no, it's royalty, not despair. Beat out here, and every day in February, I will give you a black history fact that I didn't know, and maybe you didn't either. It's a rugged, ratchet, realistic look at history. Listen to I Didn't Know, Maybe You Didn't Either on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or just wherever you get your podcasts from.
1: Hi, my name is Cassidy Zachary. And I am April Callahan. And we are fashion historians. Yep. And co hosts and the creators of the podcast Dressed the History of Fashion, which is dedicated to investigating the significance of dress from throughout history and around the world. And we are so excited to bring you a brand new season celebrating groundbreaking fashion figures and exploring the history of everything from corsets to blue jeans. Dressed the History of Fashion is available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows. New episodes drop every Tuesday and
3: Thursday. The art world, it is essentially a money laundering business. The best fakes are still hanging on
6: people's walls, you know, they don't even know or suspect that they're fakes.
4: I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is a podcast about deception, greed, and forgery in the art world.
6: I just walked in and saw this bright red painting presuming to be a Rothko.
0: Of course, art
5: forgeries only happen because there's money to be made. A lot of money.
0: I'm listening to how what they're paying for these things. It was an incredible amount of money.
4: You knew the painting was fake. Um. Listen to Art Fraud on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.